0: I was talking with a friend this week, um, he was playing tennis, or um, I'm sorry, not tennis, goodness, oh, uh, the struggle for the mind. He was playing chess, and he was playing against a much better player than himself. He had a secret weapon, his brother. Um, he, he decided to, to employ a strategy uh, that I don't know has a special name among chess players, uh, but, but it's a common kind of strategy, he he started to psych out his opponent. So he and his brother would say things back and forth to sound like they really had that guy in a pickle. He'd say, ooh, think I should cook the rook. The other one would say, nah, no, you need to salt the eggs. (laughs) They started talking in this code back and forth. And this much better chess player started making mistakes because he got psyched out. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what, what mistake what am I doing? What, what am I doing wrong? What are they seeing that I don't see? And it got him to start making mistakes. And this guy beat a better chess player by psyching him out. You know, it's funny when we get we get something in our minds, it's hard to to get rid of it. It's hard to deal with it. Spiritual warfare often happens on the battlefield of the mind. It's it's not It's not always just mental, but a lot of times it is heavy in the mental. This morning, we're going to consider the struggle for the mind. Stand with me as we read from God's word. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine. And this is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your mind and your life. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me. Lord, help us engage in the struggle for the mind, not with physical weaponry, Or even philosophical weaponry with the weapons of spiritual warfare. Put on us the helmet of salvation to protect our minds. Help us think the way we ought to do the things we ought to. That we may bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so the struggle of the mind is on. Maybe you've, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been the one psyched out tricked yourself into doing something just because you thought that you had to. You thought you had no choice. Or maybe, maybe you started making mistakes because you didn't really think it through. You felt like the pressure of the moment was so great that you had to act now. One of the problems with human beings is that we are easily manipulated with the mind. We can be tricked into seeing something as much bigger than it really is or seeing something much smaller than it really is. That's why the side view mirrors on your car say objects are closer than they may appear because we don't always have the right perspective, do we? Sometimes we see things differently than they really are. And in this struggle of the mind, it's very easy for Satan to put something close to us, near us, in our minds that that we focus on, that we concentrate on, that we allow ourselves to meditate on. We we don't call that meditation, though. We call it worry because that's typically how that works, right? In fact, in verse 6 in this chapter, he tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, this battlefield for the mind is fraught with danger from the what ifs, the hypotheticals, the, the, the what if this happens? How many of you have ever not gone to a doctor's appointment because you were afraid of what the doctor was going to tell you? How many of you are lying? Come on now. Just just yesterday, Carrie was saying, I don't want to go to the doctor about this because I'm afraid of what he'll say. I've done that too. Oh, I'm fine. It's just a—it's just a little bit of a scratchy throat, just a little bit of sneezing, just a little bit of coughing. But I don't want to go to the doctor because they're going to stick a Q-tip this long way up my nose, and I don't want to have to do that. I don't even care what the result is. I just don't want the test. That—that <laughs> that flu test—it goes all the way up there. I don't want that. I don't blame my kids. My kids would like yell and scream when doctors did that to them and I'm like, I know, buddy, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Can't we just have him sneeze on something and you test that? Uh, can we We get so afraid of the what ifs and, and maybe it's not the what ifs that occupy our mind. Maybe it's the if only's. You ever have those? where you think about a past situation and you think, if only I had done this differently, if only I had just whatever it might be. We can get all caught up in so many different things that we miss the right things. And in the battlefield of the mind, in the struggle for the mind, we need to do a couple of things specifically to make sure, to ensure that we not only win this struggle, but more importantly, that we are further being conformed into the image of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. I think of water. Water. Um, gas is the same way, but it's a little harder to see, okay? But think about, think about a gallon of milk, right? The amazing thing about liquids in general, gases do the same thing, but again, they're harder, but you can picture in your mind liquid. If you pour it into something else, it doesn't stay the same shape that it was. It takes the shape of the new container. So one thing you can do, have a little fun with with your little littles, whether they're whether they're uh, grandkids or neighbors' kids or whatever. Bring them in. Have two cups that are the same size with the same amount of liquid, and then pour one into a smaller, longer container, pour one in and then ask, which one's more? And when they're little, they will say the bigger one is more, the taller one. Even though they saw that they were the same amount to begin with, they will still think the taller one is bigger. Why? Because they don't understand volume. They just think of big as being big, right? In this battlefield of the mind, we have to learn to think of things the way they truly are. Now, we could be anxious and we could worry about our what ifs and we can worry about all of those hypotheticals or those those if onlys, those those things we wish we had done differently. But that's not the right thing to think about, is it? See, in this struggle for the mind, we've got to be thinking about the right things. He says in verse six, do not be anxious. Why? Because we have a tendency to be anxious. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Why does it say lean not on your own understanding? Because we keep trying to lean on it. We keep trying to take what we know, what we understand, what we can sense and touch and grasp and, and, and have a hold of in our minds and make that the basis of how we live. The thing we lean on when we need some help. But in this struggle for the mind, what we've got to do is to stop putting the wrong things in and start putting the right things. I said last week that relinquishment is trust applied. When we trust God, we will naturally let go of the anxieties, of the worries of whatever other things we're holding on to. We'll let go of the prizes, right? Chapter three, Paul talks about counting all all that he used to count as gain. I have now counted as loss for the sake of of knowing Christ. Indeed, everything is lost compared to Jesus, right? What he's saying is when I look at Jesus, when I trust in Jesus, when I get to know Jesus, I find that all the junk is just that, it's junk. And I let it go. I lose it for the sake of gaining that one thing that matters, right? And this is exactly what we're talking about here. We got to think about the right things. Well, how do we do that? How do we know what those right things are? How do we get from this uh, uh, thinking about things that, that come into our mind as they come and, and trying to deal with those thoughts? That way, how do we get to a point where we're thinking rightly and not just thinking uh, in response to what's happening? In other words, how do we think the way that God wants us to think? How do we think about those right things? Something interesting happens. Have you ever seen the change machine? Okay, so a change machine like... Uh, you go to the laundromat you got bills none of the none of the machines take bills they all take quarters so they have a change machine you go in and you put your money into the change machine in bill form and you get it back out in coin form right now if the machine is working properly you get the same amount back that you put in okay if the machine is not working properly you hit it and kick it and try to make it give you all your change back right Okay, maybe you don't do that. Uh, that's, maybe it's just some of us, but you may have changed the denomination, taken it from bills to coins, but it's still the same amount of money, right? What you put in determines what you get out. You don't put in a dollar bill and get a roll of quarters. That would be wonderful. That's not how it works. You don't put in a dollar bill and get in, get back a quarter. No, you put in a dollar and you get back a dollar. Different form. Same dog. You see where I'm going with this? The things that we put into our minds are the things that will come out. The ways that we think, the things that we put into our minds are going to determine the, the, the ways that we act. They're going to determine our attitudes. They're going to determine our actions. They're going to inter- determine uh, all of the, the perspective that we have. Everything is determined by what we're putting in. So it's not just enough to get rid of the bad stuff. Think of the hole in your yard from where that tree used to be. You dig up a tree because it's rotten or it's dead or whatever. You dig up the stump and then there's a giant hole in the yard. Now, do you leave the hole? Do you leave the hole? Carrie's shaking her head yes because we have some holes in our yard. You shouldn't leave the hole, should you? Some of those holes have been there a lot longer than we have. A lot longer than we have. You don't leave the hole. Why not? Because you can step in it, right? It's a danger. Think about... Um, Another problem we have in our yard. We we got a lot of holes from moles. We got a lot of moles. Little little critters that dig in and run around and all kinds of stuff. What happens with those holes? Mole moves out. Something else moves in, right? Maybe snakes. Maybe it's ground nesting hornets. We've had those before. You see what I'm getting at here? You can't just get rid of the old bad the, the, the anxiety, the, the stuff you shouldn't be thinking about those those sinful things that we that, that, that sometimes reverberate in our minds. you can't just get rid of those because what's going to happen? Something else is going to take its place. you got to put something in there that's worth while having in there and that's exactly what Jesus uh, or Paul excuse me here is talking about that's what Jesus talks about when he says that, that uh, uh, you cast out a demon from a man, And he goes around, he runs around, he doesn't find anywhere. So he comes back with seven worse demons. Why? Because when he casts out the demon the first time, nothing else filled the place. It remained unoccupied until something worse comes along. So what we've got to do is not just to take the bad out. We've got to put good in. We've got to think about the right things, not just not think about the wrong things. Because have you ever tried not thinking about something That doesn't work, does it? It's so much easier to distract. You ever seen a two-year-old with something they shouldn't have and you take it away from them? What do they do? They go get something else they shouldn't have. But you give them something that they can have. Sometimes they're not so interested anymore in what they can. Sometimes that doesn't work. (laughs) They don't want that. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now we've got some practical guidance. Here's what you do. Here's how to win the struggle over the mind. Think about the right things. Put the right things in and you'll get the right things out. Now, how do we know what's the right things? Well, he tells us. In fact, he gives us some descriptions. Now, now here, here's, here's the thing. This is not meant to be a checklist just of yes or no. Does it do this? Does it do that? Does it do that? That's not exactly what he means. What he's trying to do here is set up some boundaries. He's trying to give us some general guidelines that when we apply these all together, we're going to land on the right things. In my work, we have a lot of traffic. Oh man, we have a lot of traffic. Y'all should have seen it yesterday. Anybody? Uh, I know Carrie brought the kids up to Chick fil A yesterday. Anybody go to Chick fil A yesterday? Anybody ride by it yesterday? Holy cow, we had a lot of traffic yesterday. Our, we had the busiest hour in our store's history yesterday and beat, beat the prior record by like 20%. It was bad. It's great for the owner. <laughs> but uh, We have a lot of traffic, so we, we got to have some things to help with the traffic. Like we can. Like, can you imagine if we didn't do anything and, and just let people do whatever they wanted to do? Can you imagine what a ruckus it would be? Now, we've got certain things. That kind of traffic can be dangerous. So we have certain things that help us to manage that traffic. We have traffic cones that are set up in certain ways so that people will go in specific directions or not go in certain directions if need be. We have signs that direct certain types of orders to certain places. We have a curbside area that that people park in to receive their curbside order. Uh, when that fills up, we, we we make do with other parking lots around. But we we have those signs that say this way if you're if you're picking up curbside, go this way. We have the sign that says, "Hey, there's two lanes. You don't have to get behind all these other cars. The second lane is also open." By the way, if you come to Chick Fil A and there's like a hundred cars in lane one, go to lane two. It's okay. They're just as friendly in that lane. I promise. We have people sometimes me, sometimes others who are out there directing traffic, making sure this car is stopped while this car is going because if this car goes and this car goes, that's bad, right? We use all of these different things to try to direct the traffic in the way that it needs to go so that everybody stays safe, everybody gets their food as quickly as possible, right? You This is not a difficult concept. This is what Paul's doing here. He's setting out the traffic cones. He's putting up the signs. He's he's got the crossing guards or the the traffic directors that are making sure that we are headed in the right direction. This is how we establish those things that will keep us on the right path. What kinds of things do we need to think about? What what guidance does he give us? Well, is it true? Not hypothetical, not the what ifs and the if onlys. Is it true? Is it actual? Does it correspond with reality? Or is it a figment of your imagination? Chances are, if most of what you're thinking about is imaginary, you're not thinking about the right things. Now there are sometimes when we need to imagine, sometimes when we need to dream, sometimes when we need to picture what could be. That's good, but every thought shouldn't be that way. And when we're thinking that way, by the way, we're not thinking of just what could be randomly. We want what God wants to be, to be the center of our what could be. Make sense? What is it? Is it true or is it not? If it's not true, if it's not genuine, if it's not real, chances are we don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Is it honorable? Does it convey dignity? Is it worthy of respect? Hmm. Does, Does it... Is it in line with God's command to love him and to love our neighbors as ourselves? If not, some things are true and they aren't honorable. Some things are honorable and they're not true. What about three? Is it just? Do they cooperate with justice or is it some perverted form of justice? By the way, when you start adding adjectives to justice, it's difficult to be correct. Justice is justice. It doesn't need any other modifiers. By the way, all of these things together if you can hit all of these things, it's so much better than one or two. It's not just, all right, can I, can I find one that, that, you know, sometimes you're like, I, as long as I've got one of these things, I'm all right. No, try to get them all. Is it pure? The word here is holy. Does it reflect God's holiness or our lack of holiness? Is it lovely? This one's interesting. Is it the kind of thing that's pleasing? Now, again, you can get in trouble with this. There are people who spend their life trying to be peace keepers that don't want to upset anybody and don't want anybody mad at them. And so they never fight about anything, especially the things they need to. That's not good either. But typically, we need to have thoughts that are good thoughts, pleasant thoughts. I think about my kids and I think about sometimes they watch a movie in the evening. And we don't, we try not to let them watch certain things because we know that that doesn't, that's not conducive to sleep. One time we watched something and we were watching one thing and it was, it was, it was like forensics oriented, but it was like very scientific. It was like how they do the lab test kind of stuff. It wasn't, that kind of stuff was fine. After that went off, something else came on that was detailing more of the, murder side of it. And we had several nights where kids had difficulty sleeping. And I don't blame them. That wasn't a lovely thought, was not It doesn't mean we never have unpleasant thoughts, but it does mean, it does mean that we shouldn't be putting the kind of junk in that will give us junk out. Is it commendable? If your mother knew what you were thinking, would she be embarrassed? That, that's the idea of this word. That's exactly what he's saying. Hey, hey, make it in such a way that if other people knew what you were thinking, it would be good for them too. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? I'd like to give them a piece of my mind. Maybe you should. (laughs) not Maybe you should get another mind. (laughs) Is it excellent? Excellence to me is not just about being of the highest order. It's about being beyond reproach you can be excellent at something and get proud about it. That's not the way your thought needs to go. You need to be excellent about something beyond reproach. Do good quality without the big head. I know because I are one, it's easy to get the big head. It's really easy to get the big head. Is it indisputable, by the way? That's also carried in this term excellence. Is it something, is it a half-baked, lazy form of thinking, or are you really thinking things through? Are you really looking at the details and and finding the best solution, looking for the best way, reasoning in such a way that that it's full and complete and comprehensive? That's all in this word of excellence. Is it praiseworthy? Is it worthy of praise? Not, Not just for men because they don't matter. Their praise, it's fickle. If you don't believe me, just think about this time last year, what people were common and famous, what people were being uh, shown off as the, the, the great thinkers and leaders, and then think about them today and ask, have I heard about them in the last 11 months? We saw people over the last several years that, that some, some people were praise, singing their praises and acting like this person was going to save our nation. This person is going to, to do all kinds of incredibly great things. And then you don't hear about them again because it turns out they were full of baloney. Praise, praise of men, that, that's a fickle thing. Does it get praise from God? That, that's what matters. You get a lot of well done from folks around here. Don't count it much. You get a well done from him, that's worth having. And the way we think matters because it drives us to action. You know, we are disciples of King Jesus. And in this discipleship, he is shaping our thinking. We read Romans 12, 1 and 2 earlier. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, perfect. Paul has set some boundaries and Romans 12 adds a very important aspect to it. Ultimately, it's God working within us to bring the renewal of our minds. He's the one that's bringing the victory in the struggle for the mind. So we've got our traffic markers out. We've thought a little bit about what these words in verse 8 mean. So let's look at verse 9 let Let's see where else he goes with this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Not only do we need to think the right things, we need to learn from the right leaders. I choose that word leaders uh, because the people that are doing the right things are good leaders. The people that are thinking the right ways are good leaders and we should learn from them. We've talked about it before, so it won't beat a dead horse but we've got several examples of good leaders in this, in this book. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, especially Christ. They all point us to the proper way to live. They also point us inward. Christ, in his death and resurrection, he shows us what? Humility. That's an internal thing. Trust me, if you see humility on the outside, it ain't humility. Humility is right when it's in here, right? It's also right when it's in here, too. We learn from the right leaders. Timothy and Epaphroditus are driven by love for God and others to the point that they're willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel mission. Now, that's a different kind of mindset than just, what can I get out of this? Uh, Jesus, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, (laughs) willing to give up everything because Christ is more valuable. More valuable than possessions, more valuable than prophets, more valuable than his perfect pedigree. Notice the progression what you have learned and received, what you've heard and seen. That's a progression. That goes from less experience to more experience. You learn and then you receive it. You know, it's one thing to sit in a class and have someone lecture you. It's a whole other thing to go do the homework and actually figure out how it's done, right? It's one thing to hear Job says in Job chapter 42, verse five, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I used to have heard of you, but now my eye sees you. Do you see the progression here? He moves from less experience to more experience. And what does that do to him? That puts him in a place of conviction over his sin. Verse six, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We often say Job is such a faithful servant. He is doing God's will. He is is rightly thinking about God. Even when there's terrible situations, he refuses to curse God and die. And that's true. But even he has to say, I repent when he comes face to face with God. You know why? Because even he's a sinner. Even he needs grace. It's the experiences of life with God that he uses to shape us. And that's what discipleship is at its core. It's being transformed in how we think, shaped by new motivations that alter the course of our lives. I think of the Panama Canal. Panama Canal is 51 miles long. They actually built a man-made lake in the middle of it to facilitate the canal. So if you look at it from a sideways angle, you know, just elevation, you, whichever side you come from, the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean, You have to go up into a lake, cross the lake, and then come back down on the other side. And the way this is done is with locks. Now, how do you lift a massive ship that weighs thousands of tons? How do you lift that? Well, you could try with a whole bunch of men. That's not going to work very well. That's a whole lot of strong men, huh? No, you let the water do the lifting for you. What happens is uh, there's these walls along the side. The ship sails between these walls. There's a wall in front of him. And so he sails in and gets close to that wall, maybe even maybe even touches that wall. You know, they'll be like rubber bumpers um, there. And then a wall behind him will come up and seal him in. And then it starts filling with water. It's slowly but surely, inch by inch, that boat rises until it gets level with the next group of water. Wall drops down, ship sails a little forward. That wall comes back up. The next level rises, period by period, lock by lock, slowly but surely, using just water and walls. This canal is able to transport people from one ocean to another in such a way that, you know, it's so much more dangerous to go around South America. It's so much longer. It's more dangerous. It's more expensive. Now with this canal, you can just go straight across. It takes a few hours to get through Better than a couple months. That's discipleship, y'all. God wants to raise us up to His level, but man, His level is way, way higher than ours. Like He wants us relating with Him directly, uh, uh, with with intimacy. And and in order to get us up to the level where he wants us, we're way down here. He's got to use ways of bringing us up. So in a sense, he kind of puts us in these locks. He, He walks with us through situations day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, just walking with us. We're following him. We're trying to do the things he wants us to do. And at first, at first, it's slow going. And some people, some people don't they don't make it. They they look at this and they say I don't like this. This situation isn't good. I, I don't like the way I feel. I get anxious about it because they they don't have the trust in him. They haven't developed that yet. And and instead of trusting him, instead of staying with him, instead of of relying on him and saying you know what God I I, I don't know how I don't know when I don't know why I, I don't know everything about this. But I know you're in control. So you just take charge. They just jump. They leave ship and they don't make it across the canal. They don't make it through the locks. But this discipleship journey is this journey through these locks whereby little by little, inch by inch, lock by lock, God is slowly raising us up to be more and more like him. Christ-likeness is the goal. We are not much like Christ at all. Taking that image of God that he put within us, and making it the way that we live, man, we, we are so marred off of that image that it's going to take a long time. In fact, it's going to take a lifetime. But that's exactly what God has in mind. Because in this discipleship, what he wants us to do is to move beyond just thinking the right things and move beyond uh, uh, learning from the right leaders into what really wins the struggle for the mind. And that's practicing the right things. You see, we've got to move from thinking it to doing it. Just like a tradesman starts as an apprentice, learning the tools of the trade, learning the basic techniques, perhaps moving from from a basic level apprentice into a journeyman type of program where he learns more. He gets his hands more involved with it. He does work super Instead of just like... uh, Just starting to learn. Now he's really, he's really getting his hands dirty with it. Now he's practicing these things and perfecting his skills and really working on it. Eventually he'll be a master, but not yet. He hasn't mastered it yet because he hasn't had enough experience. He needs more time and more training. He needs more hands on experience in order to do the things that he needs to do as a master, in order to meet the expectations. And be qualified enough to be a master of that train. Boy, isn't that true of us? This is not something that happens overnight. It's not just I stop thinking about bad things and start thinking about good things and we're done. No, no, it's a constant struggle for our minds. But when we do, as we follow Jesus and as we we start to do the things that he's doing, gaining that experience, letting the right thoughts take over our minds, what happens? Well, look at the end of verse nine. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know, if you want the peace of God, you need to know the God of peace. This, by the way, isn't a result so much as it is a cause. It's a promise. When we seek to live the way that God wants us to live, he is with us every step of the way. I mean, after all, he's the one that started the work in us. He's the one that first got us interested, that first helped us see that we had a sin problem and we needed him. He's with us from the beginning. He'll be with us till the end. Pray with me. Father, help us to fight this battle over the mind in your ways. Help us think about the right kinds of things. Follow your guidance. Help us to learn from those right leaders around us who are, who are walking in your ways. Help us put all these things into practice. That word practice is kind of a funny word, isn't it? It's, it's a word that means we're going to screw up. It's kind of the point of practice. It's to get all the mess ups out of the way before the game. To learn the techniques, to, to get them down so that when it's game time, when it's time to really go at it, we're ready. Father, in this journey of discipleship, keep renewing our minds till the day that you're done. We're renewed, completely transformed to be like you. Thank you for all of your promises, especially the one to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Maybe you've been struggling in the mind. You'd like to come for prayer. I'll be up here at the front. Maybe, maybe there's been a decision that you've been putting off and you know, you've, you know you should have made it by now, but you haven't. Now's the time. Today's the day. Don't put it off any longer. Whether it's accepting Jesus or being part of this church or whatever it might be, You do what God wants you to do while we sing this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.